The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. In the first six verses of Revelation chapter 3, we read about a letter to the church at Sardis. Elder Buddy Abernathy has been preaching through the book of Revelation, and today he deals with the message to Sardis. Essentially, that message is, wake up. This church had a reputation of that it was alive and well, but God said there were some problems in this church. And Brother Buddy deals with these issues in this first half of his first sermon on the church at Sardis. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
read from Revelation chapter 3 and beginning with verse 1. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. This is Jesus uh, speaking through the Apostle John. That is, he uh, inspired John to write these letters to the churches. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father, and before his angels, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now that's only six verses which I've read, but there is uh, so much uh, important information and counsel contained in those verses, so I, I doubt if we'll get to cover all of this today. But first of all, we need to remind ourselves that uh, Jesus, through John, is writing unto the angel of the church. Now you remember in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, these angels were symbolically described as stars. And one significant point that Jesus made is that he holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now seeing that those seven stars are representative of the angels of the churches, which means messengers, which I believe is referring to the pastors, it's very important that preachers as well as the church remember that we are in the Lord's hand. Now, this is not speaking particularly about our eternal security. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 that my Father which gave them me, referring to all of his elect, my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now, that's speaking of our salvation and our eternal security. But here when he speaks about the preachers being as the seven stars in Jesus' hand, he's speaking with regard to how we are utterly dependent upon him, that he must abide with us, he must bless us to preach. He's speaking of his providential uh, guidance and help in our work as ministers. So he's writing to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church. 
Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that this information is solely for the pastor. As a matter of fact, it is probably more applicable to the membership of the church as a whole because he is to deliver this information from Jesus to the church. Now, we have the Word of God, which is the inspired scriptures which contains the words of Jesus that are still applicable to us today. But here John is receiving a fresh revelation from Jesus to these specific churches. He addresses the particular problems at each church, yet these letters were probably circulated among the churches because they were good for all the churches and they're good for us today because they address a variety of problems that the New Testament church may face. So he's writing to the angel of the church in Sardis. And he says, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now there's the stars referred to again. And I believe there's a significant point here. Notice what he says. He has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now we know that the Godhead is compri comprised of three persons. In 1 John 5, 7 it says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And in the Gospel of John chapter 1 we can prove that the Word in 1 John 5, 7 is referring to Jesus because in John chapter 1 around verse 13 or 14, it says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. So the Godhead consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And that's uh, taught many places in the Bible. We don't believe that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the seven spirits. So the question obviously is, what's under consideration by these seven spirits? Well, first of all, that word seven is used 31 times in the book of Revelation alone. And the word seven is a Bible number which means complete or perfect. Usually it's not used in the sense of perfect being that which is sinless, but it's used to uh, carry the idea of completions. By the way, the number eight means new beginnings. So the word seven indicates the completion of something or the fullness of something. Now when he speaks of these seven spirits of God, that's used four times in the book of Revelation. And before we give a uh, particular uh, definition of it, I want you to notice uh, one place where this is used in Revelation chapter 5, and I believe it's verse 6. Verse chapter 4 of Revelation and chapter 5, unlike the first three chapters, is a view, a vision that God gets of heaven. We know the first three chapters are primarily addressing life in the church, in the world, where sin is a problem. 
But in chapters 4 and 5, he's getting a, a vision of heaven. And notice what he says in chapter 5 and verse 6. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne. Chapter 4 describes that, and we'll look at that later on, Lord willing. But he says, In the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, that's a capital L referring to Jesus, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth. Now notice these seven spirits, Unlike the singular Holy Spirit, these seven spirits, he says, are sent forth into all the earth. So we can already get the idea, which we'll also describe by the definition, we already get the idea that this is implying uh, the complete uh, influence of the Spirit of God. Let me go ahead and, and give you the definition of it, and we'll look back at that. Uh, it, it's referring to the Holy Spirit, and I said a while ago it's not referring to the Holy Spirit. I want you to see I'm not trying to contradict myself. But it's referring to the Spirit of God in terms of its influence in the earth. And it's saying with regard to the influence of the Holy Spirit in the earth, uh, it is a complete, uh, it's everywhere present, uh, it's available, and it provides influence wherever needed. It's emphasizing uh, that the Spirit of God is sufficient uh, for uh, taking care of God's people. You remember Jesus said in John 14, If I go to heaven, I'll send you another comforter, the Holy Ghost, which shall abide with you forever. So while the Holy Ghost is a single entity, a single person, these seven spirits of God are emphasizing how the Holy Spirit is at work here in the earth. And notice how that is described here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. He says that uh, he saw this lamb as it had been slain. And this lamb had uh, seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So you see, there's the idea behind these seven spirits. He says, it is sent, these spirits are sent forth into all the earth. And I think it's uh, significant that he's writing to seven churches, and he says these seven spirits are sent, and I believe the lesson there, and we need to apply this today, is the Holy Spirit can abide and does abide and dwell among all the Lord's churches. The seven spirits of God. If He blesses our assembly and our fellowship as a body of baptized believers, that doesn't in any way hinder the Spirit from blessing and abiding with Bethlehem Church. Because He can be thought of as these seven spirits. He then says in Revelation chapter 3, the latter part of verse 1, he identifies the problem. 
Now, I hope this is not a significant problem with us. It always is to some degree because all of us are to some degree affected by this problem. But just because you're slightly affected by a problem doesn't mean that it's having the negative effect that it is here. He says, I know thy works. That's referring to your activity, your labor, what you do, how you live your life, your church life. I know everything you're doing. And he says, you have a name that you, thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Now, obviously, he's not referring to physical life. Uh, according to uh, Thayer's uh, Greek, English, Greek English lexicon, which is uh, a little more detailed than Strong's Concordance, giving more specific applications to individual verses where a Greek word is used, here's the way he defines those terms. Livis is referring to vigorous spiritual life bringing forth good fruit. I hope that describes every member of this church. Dead in this context is speaking of that, speaking of a life that is destitute with regard to devotion to God because that person or persons is given up to trespasses in sins. Now we know that before a child of God is born again, according to Ephesians 2.1, he's dead in trespasses and sins. There, it's not the same application here. This is not speaking of unregenerate people. This is speaking to church members who are children of God. And as the Bible teaches throughout, a child of God can be overcome with the flesh that is always with them. I always think about that gross verse in Peter that des describes those that had known the way of righteousness, but they turn again away from it, and they're described this way as a, as a pig, as a dog returns to his vomit, and the pig to her wallowing in the mire. You know, we know the prodigal son literally was wallowing in the mire. But we can allow sin to reign in our life. Otherwise, Paul would not have said, let not sin reign in your mortal body. He says you have a name, and that word name there is the idea of reputation. You have a reputation that you livest, and are dead. Now here's why this is so important for Zion Church. I've pastored two churches that were in large cities, actually three. One of them wasn't a real large city, but it was large enough to make this point. All three of those churches were located in areas where there was businesses and houses 
all around them. I mean next door. But you know what? Those other folks knew very little, if anything, about us. We didn't live in, most of the members didn't live in the immediate community of the church. And people that live next door knew very little, if anything, about our lives. Because we didn't live at the church house, we just came there once or twice a week. So even if we were dead in the sense of this text, a lot of people wouldn't even know it. They wouldn't know if we were alive or dead. They wouldn't know if we were living a vigorous spiritual life bringing forth good fruit or whether we were destitute in that sense. I've also pastored a country church. And some people in the community were familiar with it. But of all the churches I've ever served, Zion is more connected to the community. Most all of you, as a matter of fact, I'm sure all of you know people in the community that are not members of the church, but they're good, godly people, and they're very familiar with our church. To even amplify that, people know that our church has grown and we've built a new building. So as I told my children, everywhere you go, most people know, or a lot of them know, or find out that you're a member of Zion Church. And however you behave yourself, is how people are going to judge Zion Church. You say, well, isn't it wrong to judge? No. All that means is that if they see you living in a way contrary to the Word of God, they're, they're really recognizing how God has judged you. If someone's living with someone they're not married to and you refer to them as an adulterer, you're not judging them. God already has. God's the one that said it was a sin. You're just recognizing it. So if you're living in sin, now all of us sin every day, but I'm talking about if you're living in perpetual sin, people see that. And if you're the only person they know from Zion Church, they will associate Zion Church with the way you live your life. So think about how important it is for every member to live in a godly way because you may be the only person that they ever know that's a member here. Let me share a story, a story with you that really uh, discouraged me years ago. We had this family join a church that I was serving. They were not originally primitive Baptist. And you know, it's always exciting when you get a whole family, mother, father, and children, that had no background among the primitive Baptists, and they come to see the doctrine and with this family, it, it, they understood and believed the doctrine, but it was more that they had been looking for the simple 
way of worship that we have with all, with, without all the auxiliary programs. The children in this family visit another Primitive Baptist church in our general area. After church, the son, who was a teenager at that time, went out with some of the young folks after church. He went and visited at their church and went out with some of the young folks. The next time I saw him, I said, well, how did it go? And he said, they're no different than anybody else. Oh, man, that hurt. Even though he wasn't speaking of our particular church, that was a representative of the Primitive Baptist. And his observation was, they're no, no different than the world. Oh, how hurtful it is if just one member of the church is living no different than the world, especially if you're the only one they know and you're the only one they have to judge the church by. Now notice this church had a name that, thou, that they livest. And by the way, this particular church I'm talking about, they had a name among the primitive Baptists. They were a large church. They had a name. And I'm not saying the whole church was dead. I'm not saying that at all. But it was the observation of this young man who associated with a small portion of the membership. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. In other words, Church is no different than the world. Now notice this. He does give a remedy for the situation. The first thing he says is be watchful. Now that basically means wake up. In Ephesians 5.14, Paul says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, that could apply to those that are spiritually dead, that are not born again. But I believe that it could certainly also apply to the dead Related the dead described here in Revelation chapter 3. Those who have allowed their spiritual life to become unspiritual. And they become worldly. They're no, living no differently than the world. Paul says those people are asleep. They're not dead in trespasses and sins. But you know what? If you put a dead body in a casket and beside that casket you put somebody else and you said I want you to be as still as you can and pretend like you're dead you know from a certain distance you wouldn't know who was dead and who wasn't why because the person that's asleep resembles the dead person Oh, that God wouldn't have to put them up, that 
people wouldn't have to put a microscope on me to figure out whether or not I was a child of God. That they would know that people all around us where, they, where we work would say, you know, they're a different kind of person. They don't get mad like everybody else. They don't, they're not rude to their fellow employees. They always have a joyful countenance about them. And he's going to address how it can be that way. But the first thing he says is, wake up. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.